So here's the conversation. This probably happened four or five, six years ago. I forget now um, how long ago when this actually happened. But this was a conversation that was occurring between April and I. And it seemed to be coming a regular conversation. We'd be in the car. We'd be driving down the road. And this is what would happen. I would look at a, a sign that was quite a ways in the distance. And I would ask April, I said, can you read that? And she would say, yeah. And so I'd wait just a little bit longer as it got closer. And I'd say, now can you read it? And she's, yes, I can still read it. And to get a little bit closer, I'd wait just a little bit. And I'd say, okay, now I can. And some weird was happening. As it got closer, it actually got worse um, for me until it got really close. And I could see this. It was happening at my desk. The screen was getting um, blurry. I thought I needed you know, a new computer screen. Something was off. And when I was laying in bed at night reading, I was constantly doing this with the book. Um, and April finally, after laughing at me for a while, she finally said, I'm making you an appointment. You're going to go see the eye doctor. So I went in. I had an appointment. I had my eyes examined. And if I was a betting man, I would have told you for sure I know what's going to happen. I'm going to have this exam. Um, the doctor's going to come out and say, what you need is a good pair of reading glasses. Why don't you head to Target or Walmart, you know, that thing that spins around. Just pick out a pair that you like. I'll tell you what um, lenses to get with that. And you're good. And you'll be good. Nope. The doctor walked out and she said, what you need is a thing called progressive lenses, not just bifocals or, or things to help me read, but the whole way through. I don't know how many levels I even have with my eyes, but it was from nothing to progressive lenses, which means I've got different things that I can look through and see in this. And if you've ever been through this in your life, you know that your first time wearing Bifocals or progressive lenses and walking downstairs is crazy. I thought I was going to die the first time I did this. I remember standing on this stage the first time I wore my glasses and thought, how am I going to get off with everybody not watching me? It was a little scary. And eating was different as well. You know, the food used to look this way, and now it's huge. And I, I'm not sure where to put it. It's just <laughs> different um, with that. So I was farsighted, meaning I could see things far away. In fact, still today, if I'm at a large event, a ball game or something, I take my glasses off um, and I could see better that way. But if I have to read something, I have to have them on. Um, that's just what is farsighted. I couldn't see what was right in front of my face. Now, this is different than um, before. So guys, we fall into this category often. Um, April would tell me to go to the refrigerator and get whatever it was that she needed. And I would open the doors to the fridge and say, we're out. We don't have any of that. We'll put it on the list. And she'd walk over, reach right in front of me and grab what she had asked for. You know, it's right there. Uh, you, we've had that problem, right? We can't hardly see what's right in front of us. I heard about a guy that used to live on the foothills of the Colorado mountains. And he moved to the Flint Hills of Kansas. And he opened up his window and he said, there's nothing to see here. Just a bunch of hills and grass. But I heard about another guy who lived in the Flint Hills of Kansas, he moved to the foothills of Colorado and he opened up his window and he said, I can't see anything but this big mountain in front of me, right? It depends on our perspective and what sometimes we can't see the beauty that's right in front of us. That's why vision is so important. We have to have goals. We have to have vision out in front of us know where we're going. And I love the quotes about that casting vision. It's so important. You've heard the quote before, the guy who aims at nothing hits it every time. Um, we got to have something to shoot for. 
vision, goals. Um, I learned this lesson years ago. We have to begin with the end in mind. We have to know where we're going so we can get there. The Bible even teaches us that without vision, people perish. Dream big. I love what's going on right now in my life, with my family. There's some really cool things happening. I love what's happening in this church and where we're headed as a church. I'm excited about life right now because of the future. And the great theologian Annie, she said it this way, tomorrow, tomorrow, right? I love you, tomorrow. There's a problem. How does she conclude? You guys know it. Tomorrow is always a day away. We can never get there. In fact, I believe that the most dangerous word in the English language, our language, a dangerous word is tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to exercise. Tomorrow, I'm going to go on a diet. Tomorrow, I'm going to do my taxes. Tomorrow, I'm going to pray and read. Tomorrow, I'm going to live life to the fullest. Tomorrow, I'm going to play with my kids. And many of you probably know this song as well, right? The Cats in the Cradle. The silver spoon, little boy blue, and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But boy, we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. Sometimes we get so busy, and it's a good thing for us to plan for the future. We have to do that. But if we concentrate on that so much, we might miss now. We might miss the journey. We might miss here and now. And we have to look at that. Now, absolutely, I love it. We have to learn from the past. We study the past a lot from Scripture. If you don't know history, you're bound to repeat it. And that's where our assurance comes from of who God is. When we study God in the past, it gives us hope that he's here and in the future. And we have to study the future as well. We look to the future. We just read a lot of quotes about that. The future is good for us to look to. That's where our hope is at in God. But the present is so important. We have to live right here, right now. In fact, God is right here, right now. And I don't mean only. He's only here right now. 11 o'clock Sunday mornings, man, that was great. In a couple weeks when I go back, God will be there again. No, this statement, God is here, right here, right now, is always true. No matter where you're at or when you're there, this is a true statement. God is always in the present We have to believe that. Because he's here, let's learn about it. Let's understand where we're at with this um, concept. So we're studying Peter. We're in a series called 2020 Vision, and Peter was a guy, when we break down his character and who he is and what he's done, Peter was a guy that was blind at times. He was nearsighted. He was farsighted. He just didn't understand at times, and we can associate with him on so many different levels. It's good to see this. So we're going to look at something Peter said And then we're going to back up and try to understand how he got there. How did he say this? So if you're with me, you have your Bibles, your phones, get your Bible apps open. First Peter chapter one. Um, This is a call from Peter for us. So this is something Peter said. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here he is, sober-minded, it's right now, set your hope, the future, as you think ahead and where you want to go and where you want to be, set your hope in that grace of the revelation. And we're going to see the revelation of Jesus from Peter here in just a minute. We're going to go back to time where he revealed and he saw this happening of Jesus. 
Um, and he says this, verse 14, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So don't live in your past. Remember your past, but don't let that define you, right? Don't be conformed to your passions of your former ignorance. But he who has called you holy, um, be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That is a here and now. We don't live a holy life in our past. We don't live a holy life yet in our future. It's right here, right now that we live holy. Now, holy is, is part of being a disciple, a disciple of Jesus. Discipleship, there's a funny word in that called discipline. And discipline, again, is not something we do from our past. It's not something we do in our future. It's right now. We live a disciplined life, and that's how we work towards this of what he's calling us to be. Now, I, before we jump into where we're going with Peter and the experience he had with Jesus, I want you to take your old religion, whatever religion is to you, your religious thoughts, your feelings, your religious history, and just kind of set that aside. This isn't about religion. I don't want this to be a religious talk. I don't want you to compare to someone else either. Don't compare your holiness or your walk, your discipleship, your time with Jesus with anybody else. Don't compare yours with mine. All right, that's not a fair comparison for me um, or you in that fact. It's not a comparison thing. I don't want to seem hypocritical. So it's not compared to me or compared to someone you're setting with. This is a relationship. I don't even want this to be heard or seen as I'm right, you're wrong. This is not a right or wrong type of situation. There's something bigger happening here that Peter goes through with Jesus. This is about choosing a person. Who are we following? Who is right in front of us? And it's a relationship with Jesus. So let's go back to a time, Peter and Jesus. Um, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to see this experience. Matthew 16, now remember Matthew, he was not a follower of Jesus. People didn't like him because he was a thief as a tax collector. He became a follower of Jesus. And this is his firsthand experience that Matthew is writing about an experience that Peter had. So Peter and Jesus were walking through this and Matthew's writing it down for us. Now, this is Peter's confession of faith. And I want you to hear this before we jump into it. Discipleship, I'm sorry, the disciples, they had been with Jesus for about two years now. A little over, probably just a little bit more than two years, they'd been hanging around Jesus. So they heard him teaching. They watched him do miracles. They got to ask him some questions. He has taught them personally, um, as well as in a large crowd. So they have seen quite a bit with Jesus and probably should know where this is heading before they even get there but they're not quite there yet. They're still about six months before the cross. So before Jesus is arrested and crucified on the cross, there's still some time that they still have with Jesus when this conversation comes up. And I want you to catch this as well. I think this is important. The confession comes before the revelation. Before Jesus is revealed to them of who he is, Peter's confession happens before then. So let's jump in. Chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? B very important question, but let's jump back to this before we get to the question, where are they and what's going on here? They're in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's the region that they're in. And I think if we could narrow it down a little bit, they would be in a town or close to a town called the city of Paneas. 
Now, the city of Panias, they didn't make bread and sell coffee there, as like our, um, okay, never mind, um, Panera here, you got it, but it wasn't very good. All right, delivery, I'll work on it. It, it was a city that worshipped a Greek god named Pan. This is where it came from. This is the name of the city. And the Greek god Pan was a weird god. He was like, on the bottom half, he was a goat. And this was the statues of him. So he had hair and long fur um, and hooves like an animal. And then the top half was man, and then he had horns. And this is who they worshipped. They had statues of this god, Greek god Pan, all over this city. Later on, the city kind of changed, and they started to worship Caesar Augustus in this city. Um, and I think there were still statues of both Caesar Augustus and the Greek god Pan here. And Jesus was with his 12 disciples. Here they were close to this. They knew all that was going on around them. And Jesus, in the middle of this place where the worship of Greek gods was going on, he asked them the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Hang on to that question. Who is the Son of Man? We go on, verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Now, there is clearly no question that Jesus is talking about himself. Maybe by the first question you didn't get it, but his second question opens the door and Jesus actually kind of answers the first question by asking them the second question. And he reveals to them that he's talking about himself in both questions. Now, the Son of Man was a prophetic title. That was a title from the Old Testament referring to the coming Messiah, the Son of Man. The I am statement, who do people say I am, was a reference to himself. And he pulls these two together. And Jesus is not asking the question for clarification. It's not because Jesus doesn't know the answer and he needs somebody to help him. He's not trying to gain information even from them. This isn't about how smart they are, how much intelligence they have. It's not about who's right and who's wrong, even. Although I believe there is a huge amount of truth that's being told in this. I think we can have truth without being um, told right or wrong. It's truth and grace is what we're going to see in this. And how Jesus approaches this, he gives them truth, but he does it with grace. This is an opportunity for his disciples to live in the moment for his disciples to live in the here and now, to confess not how much knowledge they have, but what they believe, and more important, who they believe. So they answered the question, well, some say John the Baptist, which is actually a silly statement, and they get that directly from Herod. Herod was the one who thought this, and it shows Herod's ignorance because Jesus and John the Baptist were actually together at one point. Um, they were seen together, so it can't be the same person, but Herod makes that silly statement. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Uh, they're getting closer now. This is pretty good. The, an Old Testament prophet who was said to come back at some point, but Jesus has already taught them, and they know that this isn't the right answer. Jesus had already taught them that John the Baptist filled that role. So they move on. Well, then some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now they're just, they're just trying. They're just making guesses because they don't know where else to go. But in verse 16, Simon Peter 
Matthew calls him that first here. Simon speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Peter's like that. Peter's a guy, if you read through his story, he speaks up first most of the time. Last week we saw in the boat, he was the first one to ask, hey, can I walk on water? Um, Can I come out of the boat with you? And he did it. Peter often opens his mouth and inserts his foot and gets himself in trouble. This time he doesn't. This time he speaks up first, and it's a great thing. In fact, Kierkegaard, a great theologian, he once said, in order to fully understand what it means to be a Christian, you must stand in the crowd of people and point to a man and say, he is God. And this is exactly what Peter's doing. And notice this, look at his statement. If you look at his statement, what does Peter say? He does not directly answer the question the way Jesus asked. He doesn't answer Jesus, the way Jesus asked it, meaning this, he doesn't preface his statement by saying, we believe. Jesus asked a question, you know, who do you say I am? And Peter doesn't say, well, we believe that you are. And he doesn't say, I believe that you are. Peter makes a bold statement. And he says, you are. And let's go back to the original question. The original question that Jesus asked was, who do people say the Son of Man is? And Peter replies by saying, you are the Son of God. So his statement is clear. The Son of Man is the Son of God. And that's you. Ah, That's huge for us to see that Old Testament prophet title Son of man and son of God coming together and Peter does this for us. He answers it for us and gives us a definite, clear response. Jesus then comes back and doesn't let it hang very long and he then gives Peter a title. He looks at Peter and he answers him and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Yet Jesus puts on his rabbi hat first And he gives him a blessing. He blesses Peter in this, first referring to him as his formal name, his family name, who he has come from, his father's name, right? Simon Bar-Jonah. That's a formal title for him. And he says, you didn't learn this. Meaning this is not a right or wrong answer. It's not because Peter is smarter than everybody else. It's not because he's to be understood as achieving um, something. He didn't achieve more knowledge than everyone else. He's not more intelligent because of this. This is God speaking through his servant, Peter. Then Jesus renames him. Now, I know Matthew has already called him this. Matthew's going back Um, to this and saying this, but this is where it happens. And Jesus, look at verse 18, Jesus says to him, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now when we first hear it, Peter, um, you know, he calls him Peter, and like, big deal, it's like a common guy's name, right? Well, no, if we go back to the original understanding of what he's saying, actually, Peter, the Greek word for Peter is Petros, which we translate the rock. So what Jesus actually did after Peter spoke up was he looked at him and said, you are the rock. I mean, to a guy, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, right? He compliments him, I'm the rock. That means something. That, that would have changed his whole demeanor 
I am the rock. And Jesus says, and on you, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, all due respect to um, the Catholic religion, all due respect to other mainline denominations that talk about Peter as a saint and talk about Peter as being that special person. And absolutely, Peter deserves um, some credit in this. But in my understanding and how I read this and interpret this, it's not Peter that we're building on. It's this statement that he made. The statement that Peter just said, it's the foundation, it's the cornerstone of what the church then is built on. The primacy, not the supremacy of Peter and what he said. And it's by grace that God used Peter to reveal who his son was. That's the amazing thing. That's the great news. That's the good news. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this revelation, this statement that he makes. And it has become the foundation for the church, the big C church, ever since this day when it happened. And that's why Peter can, can stand and say that. That's why we can stand here today and say that. Most other things, many, many other things, you and I can disagree on. In fact, we probably do. We might not agree politically. You might find somebody in the row that you're sitting in that you're going to find something you don't agree with them. But when it comes to this one, this is a non-negotiable for us. As a church, specifically here at Crestview, we will not negotiate on this statement. In fact, you're going to hear it over and over. Um, I, I love teaching this story. It's one of my favorites to teach. And we say it often. When somebody gets baptized here at Crestview, that's the statement that we make. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And then we ask, do you believe that he is your Lord and Savior? It comes directly from Peter and the statement that he made about this man. So you, where are you? Have you said that? Have you made that statement? Who are you following? Not are you right? Not am I right? Are we wrong? It's not about being smarter than someone else. It's about a statement of who we choose to follow. One of my favorite authors is Henry Nowen. In fact, last week when I gave my book list, I put it out on social media and one of my friends got on and said, I wouldn't have believed it was your list until I saw the book um, by Henry Nowen as part of the list. And I go back and reread some of his stuff um, all the time. I want to read you this quote by him. He says it this way. The real enemies of our life are the oughts and the ifs. True? We ought to do that. We ought to do that. If only this would have happened. If only this could happen. And these are the enemies in life. Let me read on. He says, they pull us backward into the unalterable past and forward into the unpredictable future. But real life takes place in the here and now. God is a God of the present. God is always in the moment. Be that moment hard or easy, joyful or painful. When Jesus spoke about God, he always spoke about God as being when and where we are. When you see me, you see God. When you hear me, you hear God. God is the one who is and who is for me in the present moment. That's why Jesus came to wipe away the burden of the past and the worries of the future. He wants us to discover God right where we are here and now. So where are you? 
I love the Gospels. The Gospels are awesome. The four different versions of really the same story, the story of Jesus, the real story of who he was, four different perspectives, and they don't contradict each other. They come together, they match. Those Gospels are followed by a book called Acts. Acts is the history of the church. I just said, you know, we, we've got to study history so we don't repeat it. And there's something beautiful about that, the starting of the church and the history of the church. And in the book of Acts, one of my favorite stories in there is a man, he was reading his Bible and he got confused about what was happening and what was going on. And Philip, one of the followers of Jesus, was there with him. And so he turned to Philip and he said, hey, I don't understand this. Explain it to me. So Philip explains it to him. He tells him about Jesus. And then he tells him that if you believe in this Jesus, makes a statement of faith, then you should be baptized. And this guy says, okay. If that's what it means, then I should do that. And he says, stop the chariot. There's some water right there. Let's go do it. And Philip goes and baptizes him right then. I love that story because it, I think it speaks to us in this time. Live in the moment. Where is God for you right now? We, we have a baptistry here on our stage and it's warm this morning. We've got it ready. It's full of water and it's warm. And if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't made that statement about who Jesus is, then let's do it. If you have, keep living it in here and now. You see, uh, there's a, a church movement. There's been a church movement that's been going on. Churches that say they want to be an Acts 2 church. Acts 2, if we go back in this, Acts is this history of the church. Acts 2 is kind of when the church got started. And they said, let's go back to that time. Here's the problem. The foundation is there, absolutely, but we're different today. Our society has changed. Um, a culture has changed. We can't necessarily go back and do it exactly the way they did in Acts 2, although the foundation is there. So I'm going to encourage us that I believe we should be an Acts 29 church. Acts 29. Does anybody still have their Bibles out? Your phone's open. Can you turn to Acts 29? Can somebody find that for me? I'm waiting for somebody to catch it. Eric's got it. There is no Acts 29. We are the Acts 29 church. Acts goes to chapter 28. We're not in Revelation yet. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're not Acts 2 anymore. That's our history. We are living the here and now. And we've got to keep following Jesus where he leads us. If you believe in that, um, keep going. Keep trusting. Keep following. If you haven't made that decision, I'd love to chat with you. If you would, I'm going to encourage you to stand. We're going to sing and get our hearts ready to remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's stand together and sing.